the musculoskeletal tie system, it is the system that uh, it comprises of the muscles, the bones, the ligament, the tendons, um, and so many aspects. And also, I like to always add the nerve to the musculoskeletal system. The reason I like to add the nerve to it because um, this, this system is three in one. This system cannot function without each of the other. So in the musculoskeletal system, we have the nerve or the nervous system. We have the muscle system or the muscular system. We have the bones or the skeletal system. Now, all three of these systems work together in unison to, pro to, to provide or to carry on a, a unique function of the body. So if we look at the musculoskeletal system, let's look at something here to just be very sure about what we are saying, that it is the correct message we are passing on. So let's say this is our arm, right? This is our, our, our arm. Now this our arm contains the muscles. The muscles is the first portion. You have those, what covers the bones is the muscle. Now, on these muscles, you have a skin. On our skin, we have the nerves. Now, the nerves are what transmits uh, information, sensory information. So, when someone touches you, um, that sensation of touch, that textile sensation, it, it can be picked up from where the touch occurs and sent to the brain to interpret it that there's a feeling of touch around there. Then we have, what is in here is the bone. What lies within this particular muscle that the muscle covers is the bones, which is the skeletal system, the skeletal system. Now, in the instance wherein we have stroke, when we have stroke, stroke might lead to paralysis. If we have paralysis, what's happening in paralysis? Our nerve cells are inactivated. They are inactivated. That's what happened in, par in, in paralysis. So when our nerve cells are inactivated, meaning this first portion of our body, the nerves, they are not working anymore. So we are having a nerve problem. We are having a nerve breakdown. So our nerves are not working. And when our nerves are inactive, the nerve will not, which control all of these things, uh, become inactive our body cannot move that's why you see someone who has stroke and has hemiplegia paraplegia of the left side or right side stroke they, they're not going to move part of the body so in this portion let's say this is this is the left arm and the person is having left arm paralysis or the stroke led to left arm paralysis so in in this case the left arm cannot move at all but technically, all other body parts are still functional or are still present. The bones are intact in this left arm. The muscles that cover the bone are intact in the left arm. The only difficulty in there is 
the nerve cell. So because of the nerve cell have become inactivated, the left arm cannot move, but the bones and the muscles remain intact. So technically, without the nerve, the bones and muscles cannot work. That's one aspect. Let's see, the, let's see the other way around. The other way around is in the case of fracture. In the case of fracture, let's say that there is a fracture of the humerus and the radius, the two lower arm bones. So the, so the two lower arm bones that are found in the lower part of the, of the arm, there's a fracture. Your bone got broken uh, above or uh, below your wrist towards your elbow. Now, because of this fracture, the fingers distal to the fracture cannot move. So the bones in here, the two bones, the ulna and the radius are broken. So the fingers distal to the fracture, where the fracture occurring, this finger cannot move. So the fingers here will not move. The fingers become, they will not move because there's a, there is a break in the integrity of the bones cells. So because of that, the fingers cannot move. But technically, the muscles around these fingers are intact. The nerve cells are still intact, but because of the fracture of the bones, so the fingers cannot move anymore. You cannot have a fracture of the radial and the audio, uh, the, the, the radial and the ulna, and you still function with your fingers adequately. It's not possible. Now, so when we lost the function of the bones, the muscles and the nerve cells become inactivated also. On the other hand, our muscles and bones are all, uh, uh, let's say on the other hand, our bones are intact, our nerve cells are intact, but we encounter a deep laceration. There's a huge cut and we are bleeding from our arm. So the deep cut, this deep laceration will create break in the muscle integrity and when there is break in the muscle integrity our fingers will not still move because the muscle cells is having a problem so our fingers cannot move that's why when you get a, a deep laceration in your legs in your leg muscles you cannot walk because the leg muscle become uh, inadequate or there is a dysfunction now so in short the nerve the muscles and the bones they work together so there are three systems that join together and pro they produce one or similar function so that's why they will always combine musculoskeletal system the muscles is the muscular the skeletal or the bones is what we call the skeleton so they are once they are separate system but they are joined together to produce one common effect of the body. That's why they are called, joined as the musculoskeletal system. Now, so we'll look at um, those diagnostic procedures. Diagnostic procedure that we do when we have a musculoskeletal disorder. So when we are having bone problems, bone illness and other things, the doctor will order for us musculoskeletal test or procedure to evaluate, to confirm, to diagnose what is happening to us. So those tests are so many. 
Um, in our previous audio, if you log into our audio bank, you will listen to one of our audio banks under this particular musculoskeletal system that talks about the procedure, diagnostic procedures under this particular system. So I'm not going to go into a depth. I will just list for you the tests that we do under here, the procedure, and you will have to go and find the audio among our audio bank, and then you will pull it out and listen to the portion that talks about the diagnostic procedure. Now, it is important that uh, this system deals mostly with imaging. It deals mostly with imaging. What is imaging? Imaging is a procedure we do to visualize the bones and the muscles structure of the body. When we have deformities, when we have fractures, we do imaging to visualize the bone alignment and the muscular system when there is a problem. So imaging is the biggest hallmark when it comes to procedure in the system. So we have our various tests. We have the arthroscopy. The arthroscopy is the first test under here. You have the arthroscopy. Um, arthroscopy it is a test we do to visualize the internal structure of the joints. Most commonly the knees, the shoulder joints, and that of um, other body parts. So when we do arthroscopy, we visualize the joints, the joints of the body, like the knees joints, the shoulder joints. These joints are visualized when you do the arthroscopy. So you go to the audio, when you put the audio up for this system, you will listen to those uh, portions that we talk on about the do's and don'ts about this arthroscopy. It is in the Sunders. You can also read it, but if you read, if you listen to it from the audio, you will have many information that the Sunders lacks that you're going to find it in here. Then we have um, another one we call the nuclear skin. So we do number two procedure is called nuclear skin. Nuclear skin is another uh, diagnostic procedure we do when we have bones problems. Um, under the nuclear skin, there are two different skins we talk about here. Under the skin, we talk about um, we have what we call the bone skin. We do a direct bone skin. And we can do what we call the gallium, the thallium skin. We do the gallium, G-A-L-L-I-U-M, and we do the thallium, T-H-A-L-L-I-U-M. The thallium skins and the bone skins are two type of skins we do on, on the nuclear skin. Now, this the bone skin evaluates the entire skeletal system. That's what the when you do bone skins. Bone skins evaluate the entire skeletal system from head to toes. Now, um, if you do the gallium and the thallium skin, this skin are more sensitive, detecting bones problem than the bone skin. So that simply means the bone skin's skin will do the entire skeletal muscle skin, but the 
gallium and that of the thallium scans, these two scans, they are one test. So this test will scan for us a deeper problem compared to the bone scan. So if you want to do a detective bone scan or a detective problem that is linked with the musculoskeletal system, you will do the gallium and the thallium scan, which will give us a better image or give us better images compared to the bone scan. Again, if you listen to the audio in our, in our past audio, you will have enough information on the nuclear scan. Then we look at um, the electromyography, which we call the EMG. The third one is the electromyography. Now, this electromyograph is commonly called EMG, electromyography. Now, there is one unique thing I talk about, about graphy. When you see the suffix that is added to any procedure that ends in graphy, there are particular things you want to make sure that these things are applied, these things are put in place before the test is done. When you hear biopsy, B-I-O-P-S-I-E-S or S-Y, biopsy, there are things that are peculiar that are unique to just biopsy. It could be liver biopsy, it could be kidney biopsy, it could be lungs biopsy, it could be any biopsy. It has one unique method. That is, we go into the system to extract piece of the tissue of the organ or the system to do a test with that particular tissue. So when you see graphene, we are talking about uh, getting images of a system using a particular tools to visualize the system and get some information about the system to carry on a diagnosis or, or to carry on a treatment unique to that system. Now, then we look at um, X-ray. We do X-ray also. X-ray is one of the most common tests that we will ever see when it comes to the musculoskeletal system. When, the, when there's a sprain, we do X-ray. When there's a fracture, we do X-ray. When there is even some pain that might be that, that might look at, that might look at like like a, the uh, like fracture, we do X-ray. And there are various kinds of X-ray. We do scans. We do um, MRI. We do all of these scans and other things. Uh, they are all scans that we do to, to diagnose our problems. So listen to the audio on uh, this particular system in our previous audio, and you will listen to so many important things about various diagnostic procedures that come within the musculoskeletal system. Any question? I'm going to begin with amputation. Amputation is our next topic. Amputation. Um, when we talk about amputation, we are talking about the removal of a body part. Most commonly, an extremity. When you cut off an extremity of the body, it could be the arm, the legs, the toes, the fingers. It's what we call amputation. Now, it can be an uh, elective procedure due to other complications 
or sometimes it could be due to continental malformation or deformities or it could be due to chronic osteomyelitis or there can be some malignancy that might require you to do amputation or it could be due to traumatic accident that could be an emergency procedure that you need to do so in the case of diabetes when the when the patient has diabetic ulcer of the lower extremity of the finger of other body parts that cannot heal so we do it as an elective surgery we go and do amputation that's why when it comes to diabetic complication you do not cut the nails of a diabetic client unless it is unless the podiatrist is the one who's doing it and for diabetic patient we do not cut or trim their nails or clip their nails end to end the nails are clipped always straight to avoid or cutting piece of the tissues of the fingers if we do they're going to grow into a sore and a sore cannot heal is it might lead to fingers amputation or toes or legs amputation before the healing can be can occur so amputation, amputation can be elective it could be due to traumatic even like in the case of car accident or other motor vehicle accident or it could be due to chronic illness or other complication that you're going to need to do amputation now what is important about amputation um we have different kinds of amputation with different do's and don'ts with different nursing management and we always want to make sure that uh, we meet the criteria we try to meet uh we meet um everything that we need to, to do to cross our t's and our eyes when it comes to any procedure that's going to come in the end class in amputation we have um different kind of amputation now the higher the level of amputation the greater the amount of effort will require to use prosthesis so it could be from the upper extremity it could be from the lower extremity so if you had an amputation of the upper thigh area you had a red leg amputation that your leg got cut off at the thigh area or in the groin area or right beneath your buttocks it, it, it is more difficult to use a prosthesis to walk than if it was below the knee. So the higher the site of amputation, the greater the difficulties the patient will experience to cope with movement. Now, um, let's look at the various kind of amputation. It is in the sanders. If you look in the sanders, there are enough information about the nursing management for amputation. I'm going to start with uh, upper extremity amputation. That's the first type. You have one upper extremities amputation. In the upper extremity amputation, uh, it include above and below the elbow amputation. Above and below the elbow amputation. So, any time we have a cut a cutoff or removal of our upper arm above the elbow or below the elbow coming to the wrist, it is referred to as upper extremity amputation. Under here, the wrist is included, the shoulder disarticulation, the fingers are all included in upper extremity 
arm position because this portion of our body are found in the upper extremities. Traumatic amputation can cause can be caused by accident, by war, or other causes that might lead us to having upper extremity amputation. Then we have the lower extremity. Now the lower extremity include below the knee, above the knee, are all part of the lower extremity amputation. Now what is important under here, the arrest factor, that's not very important. What is important under here is how to, what are the expected findings? What do we expect when we are undergoing amputation? It could be upper or lower. What do we expect to see? What do we expect to have? What do we expect to learn? To tell our patient when he or she is going for amputation. Now, in amputation, the patient might report pains because when the extremity is amputated, whether it is done whether it was done to traumatic uh, problem or to elective problem, the patient might still have pain encountering. They might still encounter pains. Now. Um, we look at what caused the amputation, what led to it. Was it through a motor vehicle accident? Was it through um, disease process like diabetic condition? Was it through other nerve problems that, that, that the body got damaged and it led to amputation? It has different history and we have to get the history. Now, whenever there is amputation, um, we are going to have Alter peripheral pulses. We'll have alter peripheral pulses. Peripheral pulses is not going to be the same. It's going to be alter. There will be changes in the result. So if you had an up, if 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 you had a, uh, a lower arm amputation and you do uh, the pulse at the decubital fossa area. There might be alteration. It might not be 100% accurate. If we did uh, below the knee amputation, the pulses in those areas will not be the same anymore. So there are alterations in there. Now, sometimes um, the patient, there will be differences in the temperature of the both extremity. So the temperature will not be the same. If we did artillery temperature, of the left arm or of the left axillary area of the left arm that got amputated and now the right arm that is not amputated will not have the same result. Let's do that for the ankle. So a patient who has a left arm amputation, if we do the two arms or the two axillary temperature, they will not use the same temperature of the two uh, armpits. It will be different between the two. Let's mention that for amputation. Also for amputation, um, there will be lack of sensation in the affected extremity. So if we have two different, um, uh, two different extremities and the left arm got amputated, there will be a lack of sensation in the left body part than the right side because the nerve cells in there have been altered. So once there is an alteration in the nerve cells, that will cause an alteration in sensation in that side of the body part. Likewise, the lower extremity. If we have left knee amputation, 
sensation in the left knee will be decreased compared to sensation in the right leg. So there will never be the same sensation on the two extremities when one is amputated. Now, then we also look at the nursing management for amputation. When there is amputation, we want to monitor capillary refill comparing the two extremities. Let's take for example, when you are reading this material, you want to read it for the endless, not like you are reading a storybook or a novel. No, you read like you want to understand it for the endless. Now, the nurse needs to understand that when there's an amputation, the nurse is more concerned about capillary refills of the extremity that got amputated. What does that mean? When we have good capillary refill, that can tell that the client is having good perfusion. And if we're having good perfusion, we are having good saturation. If we're having good saturation, meaning we are having good blood flow. And when we are having good blood flow, there is an adequate exchanges of O2 and CO2. When we are deprived from having O2 taken into our system, our body will not have good saturation or good perfusion and will have delayed capillary refills. This means we are having problem with circulation. So in the end class, when you see these things, it should click to your mind that you are seeing something that you need to put in more time to understand the question. And that's why I ask that when you read the end class question, when you read a question, you want to connect every knowledge point you've learned about that particular topic or the theme of the, or, of the question. So the, so the question says, a 16 years old client or patient was involved into a motor vehicle accident. He had a crush injury. His, his right arm got crushed and requires amputation. Right there, the question, they will give you a whole long sentence, a whole paragraph. But the theme of that paragraph is amputation. So right at that point, if I'm doing the test and I'm reading that question and I've seen the word amputation. Now, before I go further in my reading, I want to understand everything about amputation. What is the nurse's most important concern? Or what's the nurse's initial concern? What's the nurse's first action? So they have told that this client, this patient is 16 or 17 years old. He was involved into a motor vehicle accident which led into a cross injury, his right arm is crushed. So he requires amputation. What's the nurse immediate concern? Or the nurse, or the, or the nurse arrived on the scene. What's the, nurse immediate, what's, what's the nurse immediate action? What comes to your mind? Saturation, circulation, O2 exchanges, blood supply. How would a nurse test for blood supply, capillary refill of the extremity? You won't look at that. Look at those things that will give you idea that the client is having good perfusion of those areas. Because if the client is not having good perfusion of, 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 the, of where the injury occurred, the cells are going to die. And when the cells are dead, they're going to be necrosis. The cells will begin to get massive, they'll begin to get rotten. And when that happens, that particular portion that got uh that got traumatized will become green there will be gangrene formation 
which means those cells in there they are dead so in the end class we have to open our mind when we are reading this 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 material they will not come in our in they will not come like our regular testing in our classroom blank is this no or define this no you have to deploy the skills of logical thinking that will give you answer to be correct so the nurse is the, the nurse will monitor capillary refills how will the nurse do that by comparing the two extremities so you compare the left extremity the left the left nose bed of the fingers and the right nose bed of the fingers what are they are having the same capillary refill time you, you want to compare the two the nurse is also the, the nurse needs to also um for other patients it it can be difficult to monitor due to the taking and opaque nails so when the patient is an adult patient to check the nails and note how fast the capillary the capillaries are refilling it takes longer time because the nails are thicker in adults compared to in pediatric or, or in adolescents now the nurse needs to monitor for edema the nurse needs to monitor for necrosis i just talked about necrosis so the nurse will monitor for necrosis the nurse will also monitor for the lack of hair distribution on those extremities due to adequate peripheral circulation. I just said everything in a nutshell. So we are checking for those things to see why the patient is having adequate saturation. Because if hair, if we are experiencing hair loss in where the injury occurred, meaning there is no blood supply in that area, if the color is changing, meaning there is no blood supply in, those, in that area. Because if the color is changing from normal color to black or dark color, there is gangrene formation or there is necrosis occurring. And once there is necrosis, meaning the cells in there are dead, the cells are not growing because they are not receiving blood supply. They are ischemic, meaning there is no blood supply. Ischemia is there is no blood supply. And if they are going through ischemia, which means there is no blood supply, they will not be alive because our cells live by O2 and uh, by, by O2. So in such condition, they will have necrosis and there will be uh, dead cells in there. So that's an all lethal circulation. So that's why I'm bringing this to look at it. So in the end class, these two will come in the end class, but, they, but they're going to come in different form. But the bottom line is whether they come in the form that you expect or not, when you see amputation, open your mind and think about every knowledge point that you got from amputation. Any answer that resembles what you've read is the correct answer in the English. The English is not about most correct, it's about the most convenient, the most reliable, the nearest to, to, to the most correct answer. That's about the English. And I always make this example. If you were at the end class and you saw a question, the question states, which of the following animal, which of the following is a human? And they say A, monkey, B says baboon, C says dog, and D tells you a cat. Which of the following is a human? In this option, there is no human in here. But we have to choose one answer to complete this question and move to the next question. 
Because there is no humor in here, we cannot leave it undone. We must choose an answer. So what among these options that is nearest to humor? So what is among that is nearest to humor? You have uh, monkey and baboon, right? But in a sense, baboon is nearest to humor than monkey because baboon does not have a tail. It stands upward. It walks with eight feet sometimes. And it has more human characteristics compared to monkey. So the baboon face is more structural, structural than uh, like human than the monkey. The baboon has so many characteristics that look like human characteristics than the monkey. So the baboon would be our correct answer. So this would be our correct answer. So because of this particular resemblance, it is it's not human, but we must pick one answer from among them. So this becomes the most convenient, the most reliable answer is what we choose. So in the end class, you're not going to have 100%. There are some questions that will not be correct 100%. But what is the nearest or the most convenient answer in there is what you choose. And you can only choose that if you have had previous knowledge points or Understanding about the question. So these are things we have to start to learn and know them as we go along in the end class, or as we go along for our end class preparation. Now, then we also have other diagnostic procedure that we do when the patient is having amputation. What are those procedures? We do angiography. We do angiography for the patient who is going, who is having a uh, um, amputation, we do angiography, and in the angiography, it allows us to visualize the peripheral vasculature and areas of impaired circulation. This is the reason why we do this test. The angiography will tell us where we have impaired, where we have impaired circulation. Now, because in the end class, they will ask you, a 16-year-old male patient was involved into a traumatic event that led to the amputation, that led to an amputation. What's the nurse paramount concern? In your most paramount concern for amputation is circulation. And we check that by capillary refill on physical assessment. If we must do other tests, other procedures to diagnose that the client is having good perfusion or good capillary refill, we do the angiography. And when we do angiography, it tells us where along that body path, where we have impairment in our circulation. The angler will, also, the angler will ask you, the patient mom asks the nurse, why is my daughter doing angiography what's the nurse most therapeutic response to the to the patient mom so the patient mom wants to know what is angiography why is her daughter is being scheduled for angiography so if you do not know what is angiography you cannot get this question easily you're only going to guess and 99 percent of the time when we guess this question we're going to get it wrong so in angiography, it is a test done to visualize the bones and the muscle surroundings that tells us 
about impairment in circulation. So if you do the angiography, everywhere there is an impairment in circulation will be pointed out. You'll see a different color of those areas that the patient is having the impairment in circulation. That's about angiography. We can also do Doppler or Doppler laser. We do, um, we can do a test called Doppler laser, um, Doppler laser and ultrasonograph study. We can do also the ultrasound, ultrasonography, sonography or ultrasound for the patient who's, who's having amputation problem. Now, in this test, it measures the speed of blood flow in the extremity. So this Doppler laser test and the ultrasonography, these two tests measure the speed of blood perfusion or blood circulation. This is about this test. So Doppler laser test in the case of amputation, we want to know after the amputation, what's the speed of blood circulation circulation in the extremity the patient had a left arm amputation and a doctor order Doppler laser test for the patient and the patient mom asked the nurse why is my son going to do this Doppler laser test what's the nurse respond what's the nurse therapeutic respond or what would a graduate nurse tell the patient's mom about Doppler or uh, laser test when asked about the indication for the test. This question might come in the end class. It might come in, it might come in different uh, ways. So before you can answer such a question in the end class, you want to understand the rationale, the reason or the indication for the Doppler test and that of the what the ultrasound done for a patient who is having amputation. So in your book, in your notepad, you, you want to read this test. Angiography, you put impaired circulation. Doppler test or ultrasound, you put speed of perfusion of the extremity. So that you can remember them like that. Because the ankle is a blind test, we do not know where the test comes from. But we have an idea that, that the test is a nursing-based test. It tests us on our previous ideas on what we've learned in school. Now, then we can do what we call the TCPO2 test. Another test we can do is called the TCPO, uh, the TCPO2. Now, this TCPO2 test is commonly referred as a transcutaneous O2 pressure. The TCPO2 is referred to as the transcutaneous. It is called the trans cutaneous the transcutaneous oxygen pressure the PCPO2 transcutaneous oxygen pressure this test is called the TCPO2 now this test measure the O2 pressure in every extremity and the O2 pressure, um, the O2 pressure in every extremity tells us how well blood is being pumped to that extremity. That's the significant, that's the rationale for doing this test. 
it tells us how many how much volume of blood is being supplied or is being released by the heart to that extremity and how much blood supply is being used by the cells in that extremity this gave us an idea whether the client is having good perfusion now understand one thing all these tests that we are doing now this procedure they are all geared towards one thing perfusion circulation so in the end class when it comes to amputation our most primary concern becomes uh, circulation or perfusion or saturation of o2 that is our concern so in the end class they'll give you one question in just a few words they'll talk about amputation they'll give you a long case scenario they will give you age they'll give you scenario of this the setting where it occur everything and they'll ask you what's the nurse immediate concern what's the nurse primary concern what's the nurse first action your first action should be geared towards checking for saturation or circulation and that is to check that these things are correct and they are being done the best way possible to be on the right side now then we also have ankle brachial index we do another procedure called the ankle brachial index index now the ankle brachial index it is a procedure that we do to measure the difference between the ankle and that of the brachial systolic pressure the ankle and the brachial systolic pressure so we do this test to measure the difference so we will do the two pressure and subtract uh, one from the other one the difference become what we're talking about here so these tests are done to to, to, to help us diagnose our patient now when it comes to amputation, I'm also concerned about the nursing management and I'm concerned about complication. I'm concerned about some other things that we need to know about amputation. What are those concerns? One, we want to we are concerned about the nursing care. Um, we want to prevent post-operative complication. What is one of those most important post-op complications for amputation? One is hypovolumia. Hypovolumia is a complication that might arise when a client has amputation because when there's amputation, there will be lots of fluid, there will be lots of body fluid, which can cause hypovolemia or hypovolemic shock. Now, we talked about shock the other day. You remember the kind of shock? The dose of the shock. Go back and review those things. As we're moving on, you want to connect those things that we've passed by with where we are. Now, under here, we want to also look at pains and infection. So, hypovolemia, pains, and infection are all complicated that we are concerned about when the client undergoes amputation. Now, we, the nurse must also assess the surgical site for bleeding and monitor for frequency uh, uh, for for and monitor frequently a patient's vital signs. Bleeding can cause hypovolemia, and in amputation, the client major veins and arteries are cut off. Those major veins and arteries are a huge bleeder that can cause complications. So our concern becomes to look at those veins that they are intact, they are well ligated, and make make sure that everything is in place. 
Now, um, we want to also monitor tissue perfusion of the end residual limb. Tissue perfusion is our concern. Tissue perfusion of, of what we call the end res residual limb. What's the end residual limb? The storm. So this is the leg right here. Um, this leg got cut off from here. So the legs was amputated from this area and the stump of the leg remain here. This is what we call the residual limb. The portion that was left in after the amputation becomes our paramount concern to check whether there is enough perfusion within that particular area. And we know that once there's an amputation, the pulses would not be the same, the temperature would not be the same, Sometimes even the blood supply cannot be the same. But our concern is to make sure that the client is having enough perfusion to prevent necrosis or gangrene formation in that particular leg that got amputated. That is our concern. Now, also another concern under here is to make sure to compare. Um, now, one second. Now, in order to check this residual limbs, there are things we want to do. One. We want to make sure we palpate the limbs and to know how it feels. So we palpate the limbs. If the limb feels warm or if it feels if it feels hot, if it is hot, meaning the patient is having a problem. If the limb feels or uh, if it's heated or is hot, this can indicate uh, infection. Meaning they are having infection in the limb that got cut off or in the residual limb. There's an infection. We want to also make sure that uh, we want to assess, um, we want to compare the pores most proximal to the incision site in the extremity. So if this leg got cut off, the left leg got cut off, we want to look at the pores, the pores in the groin area to check what the pores is, is pulsating. We check that. We check all the pores. The anti force or uh, the, 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 the anti cubital force of, 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 of pores, we look, we, we look at those pores. If it is the arm, we check those areas that have the next pores from the site of the amputation. We want to check these things and make sure they are correct, they are adequate, they are active, they are functioning to be correct with the circulation. Because those are points that will tell, tell the patient is having good circulation or good perfusion. We also concerned to monitor symptoms of infection and non-healing of the incision site. We want to look at infection which can lead to osteomyelitis. If the client has infection, infection can lead to osteomyelitis. So infection can lead to osteomyelitis. Look up, look up this word, osteomyelitis. Um, when the client has infection after amputation, it leads to osteomyelitis. We want to make sure that everything is in place. We also want to make sure that um, um, if the amputation is not healing, if it is not healing, um, then we want to perform adequate uh, or, 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 or therapies 
that will help to heal the amputation site. We want to position the client excluded in a dependent position to promote blood flow. So when there is amputation, the extremity that is amputated must be positioned in a dependent position. In a dependent position. This position can increase blood flow. That's the rationale. If the left arm was amputated and it is not healing, the left arm must be positioned in a dependent position to increase blood flow of circulation or perfusion. If the red leg was amputated, the storm, the retrodural limb of the red leg should be placed in a dependent position. In the end class, sometimes you will read a question and you cannot get an adequate knowledge point of the question. The tips we use or the strategy we use in such, in, in such case scenario, we pick the option that we are mostly familiar with for that topic. So you went to, so you went to an end class and you saw a question about amputation. The question was so long that you cannot just grasp the, 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 the idea of the question. But in the answer, they talk about dependent position of a leg. The father you've talked about, we've talked about dependent position. The father we've read about dependent position, which can increase perfusion or increase healing. That is the correct answer. So we we'll choose it as the correct answer and move on. Sometimes in the end class, we cannot understand the question well, and we cannot take forever reading one question over and over. We want to make sure if we're not getting the question correct and we've read it two or three times, the option in that makes sense to us or that we are familiar with, we choose it and move on. So these words I'm writing on the board, they are important to remember them for the end class. And that's the reason why in the end class, what comes to your mind first is what you choose. You never want to go back changing your answer if you are not show 100% unless you are sure very well that what you choosing or what you chose for is not correct then you can choose it but if that's not the case if you are uncertain about two answers the one you chose first is the answer you want to go with in the end class practice makes perfect if we practice these things at home we'll get good in them and we can exhibit them at the end class now um then we want to also manage traumatic amputation. That is, you were going to work, there was an accident that occurred, and your arm got cut off. Your arm got amputated. That is what we call traumatic amputation. It was not planned. It was not elected. It was not a planned amputation. It was traumatic. It was, it, it was due to some trauma, some accident condition. The next day, you saw your legs cut off. You've seen people riding bikes and other things. The bike had an accident and the person's legs, arm got broken and it got cut off. Now in this condition, in this case scenario, it will involve, it will require a medical emergency or else the patient might lose their life before even care comes in. We saw a case uh, of a child back in my country in Liberia some time ago there was a riot and this child was in the street the child got shot in the leg his leg got broken the bone came out and then he was not sent to the er sooner he got to the er 
He has been bleeding for over two, three hours. He got to the ER and he died right in front of the ER. He did not die due to, due to the fracture or due to the trauma that caused his leg, but he died from hypovolemia. So he had hypovolemia shock. He, he was bleeding until his blood was like very low. He, the fluid volume got low and then he went into shock and he passed out. He died. So when there's a traumatic event, traumatic amputation, our paramount concern becomes the ER. Let's look at this for example. Um, now, I talk about when there's a problem, when there's, a when there's an amputation, and then our concern includes circulation, and now I have to talk about ER, emergency. So, the agent will ask you, a patient was involved into a traumatic accident that led to his right finger being amputated. What's the nurse's immediate action? A, take the client to the ER. B, assess the client's peripheral pulses for circulation. C, bend or uh, uh, wrap a bandage, a bandage around the finger to reduce blood flow or to prevent bleeding. And D says, Call 911. Now, this is a complete priority question that's going to come in the end class. In this priority question, all four of these options are all correct in the end class. They are all correct. When someone has a problem, we can do turn to the ER. We can assess them for circulation. We can uh, apply bandage to suppress bleeding. We can call now one. All four are correct. What is the most correct one? What is the immediate one we're going to do in here? That becomes the end class. You said? Now, now you see in there, C will be wrong. In the end class, we're talking about ACPA, A-D-P-I-E. Assessment, diagnosis, planning, implementing, and evaluation. So you were a nurse, you were caught on the, on the scene. This child has had a problem. You were caught on the scene and the child had an accident. What's your first concern? Assessment. And that assessment is assess for circulation. That is the most paramount concern in the anchor. So that becomes the most important concern. Do not rush to the anchors. Do not rush the question. Understand this question. Every endless question has a reason why it was given, and that reason is based on your knowledge point. Read the question. You are not in a car. You are not on the scene. The patient had a problem. Now, putting a bandit could also be a problem for the patient. So your first thing is your assessment. If the question spoke about assessment already, then your next thing becomes your action, your implementation. That will be putting a, a bandit or like using a gun to suppress the, the bleeding to prevent blood loss. That becomes the correct answer. But once the question did not talk about um, assessment, that becomes the number one priority. And in the nursing process, we talk about assessment, data collection or diagnosis, planning, Implementation, which is our action. 
then we do evaluation we evaluate our action whether it was it was done correctly it was done fully or haphazardly we want to look at those things and know exactly what we are doing and where we are in the end class so no matter how the question is presented to you in the end class what you need to look at about the question is to understand what am i supposed to do now what i'm doing here if it is our immediate action if it is our immediate action, meaning what next can we do if it is the most important action in that situation what can we do if i must choose the most important action what can i do for this patient to prevent them from complication that will be tying the place or suppressing the bleeding that will be the most important action that can make impact that can make a prompt impact on the patient's survival or preventing complication but once it is about system systematic proceedings we look at the nursing process we look at abc or we look at airway bleeding circulation if it's about other things we look at muscular abraham human needs our first needs uh, or our our physical needs we we'll go to the next need the next level until we reach a self-actualization these are things that we must learn to move on so in the end class we can we can allow these things in the end class now so we want to make sure we uh we if it is emergency our concern becomes uh assessing the patient applying now if patient have been assessed the next thing is we want to control bleeding how do we control bleeding we control bleeding by applying direct pressure direct pressure to the site to reduce blood flow that's our that's our next thing the next thing becomes we use gauze if they're available if we do not have gauze we're going to use the patient own clothing or anything that is clean Put it and suppress the bleeding even if there is no clean clothing around what is around as a as, as, as a clothing or cloth we, we should use it at that point our priority is to stop the bleeding the kid who got shot if that kid if people were around to just take his legs put it into a spleen put some cloth around it and tie it tightly with band-aid or with some gold or some form of wraps that patient was survived but he was bleeding from where the injury occurred he was bleeding he was put at the back of a, of a police or army pickup they, they did not do first aid for him and he got to the hospital he was sitting down by the hospital he was bleeding and yet still they could not help him so he died from hypovolemic shock that's what killed him so we have to suppress the bleeding which is one of the most important things to make sure that this is suppressed we wrap they experimented with sterile gloves if available if, if we don't have sterile gloves we use a clean cloth and place a sealed plastic bag around around the area we submerge the bag in ice water one part ice and three parts water and send with the client so we put water in the in the bag and help the client to compress the area until you get to the hospital that is something happened outside the hospital there was an emergency happening outside the hospital that's the management we put in to preserve the patient now then our concern becomes pains how can we help the patient with pains the patient having 
once you have this problem, pains become a big issue. It's painful to have a fracture. It's more painful to have an amputation. Whether it is traumatic or it is elective, it is painful. Now, in here, we want to monitor and treat the pains. We want to make sure there are two pains we want to have here. We have called incisional pains, incisional pains, and we have called phantom pain, phantom pain. What is incisional pain? Incisional pain is treated with analgesia. It is a pain that is that is coming from an incisional site or an incision. When there is a surgery, when the surgery will do incision, um, there is a surgical pain. There's an opening created that becomes incisional pain, and there is a difference between incision and laceration. Now, incision is surgical. Laceration is traumatic. It is non-surgical. So they are almost the same in, in the form of description. They are the same, but in terms of origin, they are two different things. This is an accident. It's not created in surgery. This is created in surgery. And it is like it has uh, well-aligned edges. Now, when the patient has incisional pains, we can treat it with analgesia. And uh, the patient, the patient has phantom leg pain. What is what is phantom leg pain? Now, phantom leg pain or phantom pains. Take for example, this is the arm. This is our arm right here. Um, this, 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 these are our fingers here. Um, coming here, and uh, you ex the patient experienced an amputation. This entire portion got cut off. It got amputated. So the patient does not have phalanges anymore. The fingers are all amputated. Now, the patient complained to you that uh, I'm feeling pains of my index. I'm feeling pains in my index finger. This finger is painful. But technically, this finger is, the, 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 the entire arm is not there. It's amputated. And the patient complained to you that uh, I'm having pains in my index finger. Or in my middle finger you look at the patient arm the entire arm is amputated how will you feel pains in your middle or in your middle finger or your index finger if the entire arm is amputated yes it's possible how is it possible in these fingers there are nerves there are nerve pathways these nerve pathways start at the beginning of these fingers entering the arms all the way to where they are where they are connected so even if we cut this arm this arm is cut off but guess what the nerve pathway that runs from the index finger to this amputated stone of the hand still exists the fingers are not there but the nerve pathways that give rise to sensation in this finger are present so this nerve pathway might be showing some abnormal firing and that abnormal firing will cause pain and the patient will still feel that, feel, they will still feel that their index finger is painful but there is no index finger so such a pain is called phantom pain phantom pains are those pain that we feel for an extremity that has already been amputated 
So you, so the patient had a leg amputation. The entire lower leg is not there, and the patient complained that I'm feeling pain in my ankle. Your entire knee going downward has been amputated, but you still feel pains in your ankle. That pain is called phantom pains. So it is possible. So in phantom pains, how do we manage phantom pains? Phantom pains are there is. It can be experienced right after surgery up to several weeks. The pain can be experienced. It occurs less frequently following traumatic accident compared to scheduled accident. It can be described as a deep, burning, cramping, shooting, and aching pain. That's how we describe phantom pain. Phantom pains are deep, burning, cramping and shooting or aching pains that occur in our body parts that have already been amputated. Now, in phantom pain, it is not treated like incisional pain. In phantom pain, we administer the following medication in phantom pain. Let's look at, let's look at phantom pain treatment. So we said, in incisional pains, the patient receives analgesic. That's it. They receive pain medication and the pain goes away. Example, if a patient had a C-section, right? That is how we call it. it is an incisional pain. And they are having pains from the pain side. We gave them analgesic and the pain goes away. It could be morphine. It could be ibuprofen. It could be Tylenol, it could be anything that is given to alleviate the pain, that is an analgesic. So that is with incisional pain. Now, for phantom pains, these drugs will not work for phantom pain, or they might not work just by providing them alone. So what do we use for phantom pain? In phantom pain, we use one, the patient will use, um, will administer the following treatment. We administer calcitonin. We administer calcitonin in the first few weeks. We administer calcitonin. Um, this can help to decrease the phantom limb pain. This has a calcium origin. It helps to reduce the, the phantom limb pain. That's one. Two, we can also administer anti-epileptic agent, epileptic agent. Example, we can administer neurotin, or we call gabapentin. We can administer gabapentin, gabapentin, or it's called neurotin, or it's called neurotin or gabapentin. We can administer this medication it helps with phantom limb pain. You remember we talked about this medication when I said there are three kinds of pain medications. And the third portion we talked about was we said how we call the adjuvants. The adjuvants pain medication, adjuvants, the adjuvant pain medication include we have five classes. You have the TCAs, you have the anti-abetic medication, you have we would need all five now. So this in falls on an anti-epileptic agent. It can be used to reduce 
phantom lead pins. We can also um, get the client anti-spasmodic agent. The client can take anti-spasmodic agent, spasmodic agent. We can also administer um, antidepressant medication. Antidepressant can be used in here. It could be the TCA. It could be any class of antidepressant. It can treat uh, this particular quantum lead pain. We can also administer other non-pharmacological uh, therapy like TENs. We can give the client TENs. TEN TENS. TENS is uh, what we call the transcutaneous electrical nerve stimulation. Transcutaneous electrical nerve stimulators or stimulation. When you go for therapy, when you when you are in when, when you get involved into a motor vehicle accident and you go for a therapy they put some instrument at the side of the pains they irritate you they have this creepy sensation those things are what we call the tens the tns they help to also alleviate the pains through the transmission of electrical impulses into the body those are what we call the tens so we can do things to also stop the phantom limb pains. We can also look at other therapies like ultrasound therapy, biofeedbacks. We can do massage. We can do um, relaxation therapy to also fight the uh, this part, this uh, phantom limb pains or phantom pains. So these are medications we use including procedures we use to reduce phantom limb pain the angler will ask you a patient is experiencing a phantom limb pain sometimes they might not tell you phantom limb pain they will tell you that the patient is experiencing a pain or after amputation the pain of the lower arm the patient complains of having pains in the index finger which medication would the nurse anticipate to be administered by the doctor and they will put a morphine b they will put they will put a call b they will say amitriptyline this is a tca it is one of the, one of the drugs of choice that will be used so we don't expect to use analgesic in this condition or in phantom limping we are supposed to use these medications that are not 100% pain medication, but they are like nerve control medication. Those are the drugs they're going to use to administer when the client has phantom limb pains. So, um, <clears throat> these are things we do. Then also, um, the client perception and feelings about amputation is one of the most important parts. You woke up one morning, you went out, while coming back home, you were involved into an accident. The next day, you saw yourself in the hospital. The next thing you woke up, you got up from sleep and you saw your legs are gone or one of your legs is gone. What comes to your mind? You feel frustrated. You feel uh, you will not have energy. You feel depressed. You will have a huge emotional burden due to the amputation of your leg that was never planned. So in this situation, Nurses should be the one providing comfort, providing uh, hope to the patient. 
that there is a life after amputation. Most of the questions under this can be therapeutic communication. In therapeutic communication, we have to be very careful how we provide hope for the client, how we put the client on this condition. Because sometimes we can be very untherapeutic in providing these, these informations to the client. So that, so that the nurse will make sure they will allow the patient to grieve or the family to grieve. You have to let the patient to cry out, to vent out their frustration, vent out their emotion. If they want to cry, let them cry until they stop crying. They come in to talk. You're not going to say, oh, you don't have to cry. Keep quiet. This is no. In nursing, we encourage our patient to what? Our patient to vent out their grief, to vent out their grief when they have loss. It could be personal loss, it could be body part loss, it could be any form of loss. Losses, the client needs to understand that they have to cry out what they are grieving. Then the next thing is we have to handle the patient's depression, their anger, their grief, and their withdrawal. They want to go through all these things. It is they go, they go through stages. We want to assess the client's psychosocial well-being. Want to assess the client's feeling of auto-self-concept. This brings me to a point. The client will have auto-self-concept. Auto. Auto. A-L-T-E-R-E-D. Auto-self-concept. Now, this is a nursing diagnosis. Nursing diagnosis. Auto self concept. Why auto self concept? Concept. When you have a body parts amputated, you feel different about your body. Take, for example, you gather one money and you, um, you have some facial deformity. Um, how do you feel about your face? How do you feel about your arm or your limbs and other things? Now, most of the time, kids who have deformities, they need to be talked to because they can be bullied by their friends in their surroundings. So likewise, adults who go through these problems also struggle with um, self-worth, self-esteem. So the patient would need to be talked to, counsel on auto-self-concept. You want to, you remember we did a question here, if a patient who had like a colostomy who was going back to his spot and the nurse was providing for this patient therapy, the nurse needed to have told the patient what exactly was required for the patient to understand and be able to get reintegrated into society. That was the challenge for the nurse had to go through. So in this situation, we will face challenges and nurses should be able to muzzle the courage to, to talk to the patient the best way possible to regain a positive self-image. Other than that, the patient cannot understand, they cannot accept their condition. And this can lead to other things that will get depressed and they might commit suicide. Somebody went to the hospital, or somebody had, they damaged their eyes, they could not stand it, they committed suicide. They had poor coping skills and they was never counseled, they never go through. Somebody was diagnosed with HIV and AIDS, they killed themselves. Somebody broke their leg, their leg got amputated, 
they killed him, sir. Somebody say, okay, I have diabetic, I'm diabetic and my legs is damaged. I have so that I cannot heal. So instead of cutting my legs, I'd rather die. We've seen that a lot. So they will live and die. Somebody says, I have this diagnosis, I cannot cope with it, so I, I just will die. So the, 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 the guests forget themselves, they die because they are having altered self-concept. In the end class, they will ask you, a patient who had lower legs amputation will have, which is the following nursing diagnosis, A, altered self-concept, B, they will have uh, ineffective fluid circulation or ineffective uh, gastric exchanges, you have so many different nursing diagnoses. Now, in the end class, when you have a question that talks about nursing diagnosis, you want to understand what is the priority in that nursing diagnosis. So let's take, for example, a patient who had amputation, we have, which of the following nursing diagnosis, nursing diagnosis? A says, ineffective, they, they will have ineffective Gas, gastro ex, exchanges. Um, two, they will have alter self concept. Um, three, they will have activities intolerance. Intolerance. Four, they will have um, fluid. Volume, they will have fluid volume deficit. Now, which one is the correct answer? The patient had amputation of the red lower leg, or let's say of the finger. Let's say the patient had finger amputation, index finger amputation, index finger amputation. What's the patient most uh, fitted nursing diagnosis? Uh, index finger amputation. You have ineffective gastric exchange, auto self-concept, adaptive intolerance, fluid volume deficit. All of these things are all somehow they are linked to the condition because when you have um, when you have um, amputation, you're going to have. Uh, there will be some form of ineffective gastric exchange because certain part of the body will not have uh, the requisite O2 receiving and other things. You will have adaptive intolerance because your finger, your index finger, plays a particular role in things you do every day. And when it is absent, your hands will not feel completed. Um, fluid volume deficit, you are bleeding, and yes, you might bleed. You might have problems, but which one is the paramount concern? The paramount concern in this is the patient auto self-concept. They have lost a body part. That is a loss. And when you go through loss, you go through the process of grieving. Now, in this situation, the patient is grieving. Now, this is insignificant to the entire process, this infinite gastric exchange. A finger loss would not cause any significant ineffective gastric exchange. It would not cause that because when you, if, if this was an airway problem, would think of that. But the person lost a body part, their important thing, their, their concept becomes their self-image. How my image, how I appear in the midst of my friends, that becomes a good 
National Diagnosis for a patient who has lost a body part. Now, if this question was the other way around, let's say a patient who has asthma, the patient has an asthmatic attack, asthmatic attack, um, what is the patient nursing diagnosis? In this situation, oh, they might not be carrying on their regular activities because when you have asthma, you can't go to work. When you have asthmatic attack, you can't do anything normally. Because once you're not breathing, you can't do it. Yes, this will be a problem. But the most important problem among this option will be ineffective airway exchanges because you are not having good airway exchanges. So this will be the most important diagnosis for what? For asthmatic problem. So the condition determines uh, how we're going to align with the nursing diagnosis. So in nursing diagnosis in the NCLEX, you got to look at the condition and know where can it be fitted or where can it be fitted among the nursing diagnosis. So you got to look at that thoroughly. They're going to come in the anchors a lot. Um, lastly, um, let's look at how do we, before we leave, this is the last portion. Any questions so far? Any questions? Now, Residual limb prep and prosthesis fitting. You want to make sure um, the limb that is amputated can be shaped in a way to fit in the prosthesis. So if our legs got amputated from this portion, this got amputated, so this stone, which is the residual area, should be shaped meaning it should be shaped to fit into this prosthesis it should be shaped and so i can fit in here that it cannot cause pain to the stump of the leg that was amputated we want to make sure we because if it does not fit in there um it will create pain and the client cannot walk strictly when it wear the prosthesis. So you want to make sure when there's a shrink intervention because the leg will shrink. Will leg will shrink. If the leg is amputated from this portion, this area will shrink, meaning it will get smaller. While it shrink, the blood supply here will become lowered. The muscles in this place will be deprived from normal blood supply, so they will get smaller. So the layer will shrink. So if the layer shrink, we have to understand how to do the shrinking. So the shrinking in there, we need to one wrap it. You, you want to wrap it, wrap the stump. You wrap the stump, S-T-U-M-P. You wrap the stump well um, with elastic bandage. Figure 8 wrap. It's called figure 8 wrap. So we'll do figure 8 wrap. So we'll do figure 8 wrap um, to prevent blood flow restriction and to reduce edema. So we'll do the wrap of the stone, meaning this portion of the body part I got. I'm the, I'm the, we'll, wrap it, we'll wrap it with the gauze uh, of the bandage. It's in your sunders. There are different kind of wraps in there. 
If you look in the book, you'll see the various kind of wraps on our amputation. Then we use we use a stump shrinker socks. We use a socks S C O K socks that is a stump S T U M P a stump shrinker socks meaning a sock that create congestion it create constriction of the blood vessels to be able to fit the stump into the prosthesis we use a stump shrinker socks then we also use an air splint we use an air splint an air splint it is useful in this situation it is easier for the patient to apply we use the air splint which is a plastic inflatable device to protect the shape of the limb for easy access to inspect the wound so we use a splint that we put around this amputated limb and we inflate it to create cushion and to, and to create comfort as we put the leg in the prosthesis so the client can walk without lift, without hopping on their legs, on, on, on a damaged leg. We explain the procedure to the client, to the patient. We tell the patient how to wrap the legs, and the patient must demonstrate to us how to wrap this leg. We also make sure we reinforce proper application of the prosthesis. We explain how safe the transfer, how to safely transfer, and and also use other devices to help the client to adapt or to walk like crutches other prosthesis the wheelchair and other things until the patient can walk by himself so the patient will also learn how to manage phantom limb pains when the patient is experiencing phantom limb pains they need to manage it and understand how does it work these are things we will go into we'll measure that we we'll measure these things are, are done the patient will come back and demonstrate to us these different kind of procedures before the patient can be discharged. When you go through this, the patient has to, has to, has to learn how to walk again, which is which they will do in the rehab home to, to learn how to walk. Um, we can do close amputation, we can do open amputation. There are two kinds of amputation. These are things the patients will learn to do before discharge. Any question?
Tash.